It's that time again. It's Greek for the week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It's Greek for the week. That's right. It's the Greek for the week podcast. You say, wow, that guy on Instagram is now on podcast. Yep, we're taking you deeper every single week here on extended 20-minute podcast. Every one of your favorite Greek for the Weeks here on podcast, taking it a little bit deeper and a little bit more devotional so that it can make your workout, your drive home, and your commute a little bit more enjoyable and hopefully more educational. So do your friend a favor, take that link, send it to a friend, and say, hey, download this, and you can go deeper into the Word of God And not too deep where you can't apply it to your life. It'll be devotional, it'll be educational, and it's going to be a good time. We want to get into the book of Mark today. Particularly on Greek for the Week, we look at and analyze a little one or two or three verses, but we're going to look at the whole book of Mark today because in order to get deeper, we sometimes have to analyze not just one verse. Now, I teach this all the time. When I teach hermeneutics classes or I teach Greek classes, and I say, listen, sometimes we're taking a microscopic look at one verse, and then there are other times where we're taking a bird's eye view of the whole entire book. You know, sometimes people think that Greek is just breaking down one Greek word or looking at one little passage, and actually, Greek is looking at the language. And so if we want to make an observation in exegetical Greek, and exegetical means looking into the scripture and carrying out the meaning of what's there, sometimes we have to go, or not sometimes, all the time, we have to go where the text is leading us. And I teach my Greek classes, I say, listen, picture yourself as Sherlock Holmes. You have the hat on, you have the magnifying glass, and you're looking at the evidence, and the evidence is the text. That's the only objective piece of evidence that we have. And if you want to find out what it's telling you, you have to find the trail of breadcrumbs. And the trail of breadcrumbs is the text. And I can tell you, you really don't want to look anywhere else because the breadcrumbs will always lead you to find the culprit. And there's nothing more exciting than the text. And the text always takes us to exciting places. And one of the best texts for finding exciting things is found in the book of Mark. Yep, that's right. Matthew, Mark, the second gospel that we have in the New Testament. Now, before we get into this, let me give you a little background on the book of Mark and tell you that according to church tradition, Mark was the first to write his gospels. And after Mark came the other ones, but it's traditionally said that Mark was the first to write about Jesus, or to give us the story of Jesus back around mid-50s A.D. We'll just place it at 55 A.D. because it's particularly, they say, mid to late 50s. And we'll just stick with Mark in priority and say that he was the first to write his gospel and the first to give us the story of Jesus. And it's very interesting when we look at the book of Mark because when you consider who the author is, you might be able to appreciate it just a little bit more. Now, John Mark was a close disciple of the Apostle Peter. We can find in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 13, the Apostle Peter actually writes to Mark, or in other places of Scripture, we find that his name is John Mark, or we'll call him Mark for short, and he calls Mark his son. So we know that there is a significant relationship that Mark and Peter had toward one another, and that Mark was the understudy of Peter. And Mark pops up in different places in the New Testament. 
And the first thing that we come to understand about him is that he had a mother who was prominent in the church in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, when Peter got out of prison, when he had the miraculous escape that's found in Acts chapter 12, and the angel had let him out of prison, we find that he goes to the house of John Mark's mother and begins to knock on the door. And in that house, they were having a prayer meeting. You remember that they thought it was Peter's ghost, and they didn't think it was actually Peter because, after all, Peter was in prison, and they didn't know how he was going to escape. And that was his mother, or John Mark's mother. And so we know that John Mark at least had grown up around the church his whole life. So he would have been exposed to a lot of preaching about Christ, particularly from the apostles, because at that time, in the book of Acts, the apostles were preaching Jesus as the Son of God. And so Mark would have grown up and he would have heard all about Christ. He would have heard all about Christ's miracles. And he would have heard a lot of that from the person who was spearheading the church at the time, and that was the Apostle Peter. So you can imagine that Mark had spent all this time growing up at the feet of Peter. Another interesting thing about Mark is that his uncle was a prominent apostle in the New Testament, and that's Barnabas. We find that uh, he's called Barnabas' cousin, but we know that it's his uncle in Colossians chapter 4. And so now you start to see a picture of John Mark is that he's growing up around these great apostles and prophets, and he's been listening to this preaching. And so there comes a time where Mark decides that he's going to pen a story about Jesus. And there has to be a reason for this. At that time, he wanted to encourage Christians about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, what it means to follow Christ during a time where the church was going through persecution, where the church was being or considered the outcast of the world, and he wanted to explain how Christ followers were to take the mission of the gospel to the rest of the world, and he wanted to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and do it through his mighty acts of powers and his miracles, and particular, now not just every miracle that Jesus did, because Jesus did a lot of miracles. John tells us in the last chapter of the book of John that if all the miracles of Jesus had been recorded, not all the libraries in the whole world could contain them. Now, that's obviously a metaphor, and that's a hyperbolic statement, exaggeration for the cause of an effect to make it seem, or to just suggest that Jesus has done tremendous amounts of miracles, so many that you can't even count. But the miracles that John particularly isolates are the ones that point to Jesus being the Son of God or the ones that had within them signs that he was he whom the prophets had spoken of, the Messiah, the God incarnate, the God-man, 100% man, 100% God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you got to remember that if Mark is a writer, John Mark is a writer, and he knew the apostles, and he was full of this information, you know, he was actually went on a missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas, you remember, and he decided that he wasn't going to fulfill that uh, missionary trip, and he left Paul, and he ditched Barnabas, and it produced a schism between them. And the apostle Paul didn't want to take uh, John Mark with them, and it caused a fight in Acts chapter 15, 
And then you see later in 2 Timothy that the Apostle Paul goes back and says, well, you know, bring back John Mark. He's fruitful for the ministry, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. And he brings him back into the fold. And so by this time he's restored and it had been a learning lesson for Mark. And so he'd been through the grinder and he understand ministry, but he never left his witness for Christ. He had all these stories within him about Jesus. And by the time that he pens his gospel, he's been in ministry for some time and he's excited still about Jesus. And he still has the witness and the testimony of Christ in his heart. And he wants to put this to pen. And that's one of the most important things that he could have done at that time because he was passing on the information that he had received from the apostles and he's given it to us and he's excited about it. So he has within him to write and every writer has a literary style. You know, when I write my books, people say, you know, you have a very simple style and you're very pithy and you're very humorous and you have a very, my, my editor who lives in Missouri, she tells me, you have a very wry sense of humor, or you could say a dry sense of humor, or kind of like a, a non-obvious way of being humorous about things. And, and that's my style. And people that have read my books know that I'm at some point going to interject some humor. Actually, when I've gone to Asia, the people in Asia, don't under, they don't understand my humor because the humor in Asia has to be over the top. It's more slapstick, kind of like the Three Stooges. And it's funny to them to see someone get a pie in the face or see someone fall off of a ladder uh, or get set on fire. That's the kind of humor they like there. But us Americans kind of are adapting that British sense of humor where it's kind of wry, non-obvious, and it's not right there in your face. It's all a style of humor, just like people have a style of writing. And Mark adapts a very interesting style of writing that is obvious to us when we go to the book of Mark. And you know something, in the Greek, it's very interesting because there are people that have read the book of Mark and they're not going to notice what I'm about to point out to you. And it doesn't become obvious until you open up the book of Mark and you read it in the Greek. And that is something that's known as a literary style called parataxis. You say, a pair of taxes? No, not a pair of taxes, parataxis. Let me spell it for you. P-A-R-A. T-A-X-I-S, parataxis. It literally means to string together short and uh, uh, simple connected episodes. Like taking pearls and stringing them on a string. Taking short little clauses and stringing them right next to each other for the sake of emphasis. I'll give you an example. You know Julius Caesar. He wrote a letter to the Senate in 47 BC and he said... Vendi, vidi, vici. Now that's Latin for I came, I saw, I conquered. Now it's pretty simple and short phrases all connected and it gives you the point. I came, I saw, I conquered. Pretty simple. And it has an effect and it gives you some dramatic effect to it. It makes it seem interesting and a little bit mysterious, but it has an effect for sure. And you know, Mark doesn't necessarily use those short of clauses, but let's go to the book of Mark chapter 1, and let me point something out to you. When you go to uh, start learning Greek and Koine Greek, you'll start memorizing vocab, and you'll start memorizing the fun words, 
like the word for faith or the word for word or the word for Jesus or the word for Peter, all the ones that you want. But then, and that's pretty easy because you can ascribe, you can ascribe pictures to those nouns because nouns are person, places, or things. But where Greek gets to be a little bit difficult when you're doing vocab is when you start to have to memorize or put to memory conjunctions because conjunctions have different possible meanings to them. And for instance, the number one conjunction that you'll see is the Greek word chi, kappa, alpha, yoda, and that means and, it also means even, it also means also, and it can also mean too, and even also or too, but nonetheless, it falls under the connective conjunction of chi. And chi connects clauses one to another and helps words to depend on each other or clauses to depend on each other. That's a connective conjunction. And, you know, in the book of Mark, he has a tendency to use this word a whole lot. And not just to use this word a whole lot, Mark actually begins, now there's 678 verses in the book of Mark, and 410, or 64%, (laughs) that's a lot of percentage right there, 64% of the verses in the book of Mark, 410 out of 678 actually begin with this connective conjunction, chi. There's 583 sentences in the book of Mark, because, you know, not every single verse is the beginning of a sentence, and 376 out of 583 sentences in the book of Mark begin with this connective conjunction called chi. And to top that off, a lot of these chi's are followed by the Greek word euthos, which means immediately which then would make it and immediately. Many times in the book of Mark, we see Mark saying and immediately, and immediately, or if not just and immediately, just basic and. So he's using parataxis as a figure of speech, connecting simple short sentences whose relationships are one to another are left for effect. Now let me give you an example. I'm going to read it in the English. And I'll point out to you where we see the chi's because sometimes the English versions doesn't translate it for us because it wants to be more clear. But those are interpretative decisions that might be left for our study in another Greek for the week. But let me read to you verse number nine. Now we're in the book of Mark, verse num- chapter one and verse number nine. This is what it says. And in those days, now here we go. In the ESV, it doesn't begin with the word and, but it's there in the Greek. Chi again noto. That's how it starts. In the and in those days. Uh, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized John by John in the Jordan. Look at verse number 10. And, Kai, uh, when he came, Anabinon, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Okay, now let's go to verse number 11. You see, Kai, in the Greek it says, Kai phone, egenito, ice tone, and a voice came from heaven. So there's Kai again. So now we have three uh, verses in particular, verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11, be given with the Greek word Kai, or the connective conjunction Kai. Well, let's go to verse 12. It says here in the Greek, Kai uthus, or and immediately, topanuma auton akbali aistain eranon, eramon. My glasses, got to get my... Eremon. There we go. I'm looking at my computer screen, and and uh, sometimes without my glasses, it's not clear. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. 
it's saying here that verse number 12, verse number 11, verse number 10, and verse number 9, they're all connected by a chi. And look at chapter, or excuse me, verse number 13. Chi en en te eramu. And he was in the wilderness. Tessera conta emeras. 40 days. So look at this. Now we have 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Five verses connected by Kai. Then verse number 14, uh, we take a break from our connective Kai with metade. We don't see it. But 15, it picks back up. Kai legon oti, which means, and saying, and it goes on to say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Verse number 16. Oh, there's our Kai again. Kai paragon, parate thalasan, taste galalais, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, and passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And look at verse number 17. There's our Kai again. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Verse number 18. Oh, there's Kaiuthos. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And verse number 19. And going on a little further. And verse number 20, and immediately there's Caiuthos again. He called them. And verse number 21, Kai Aisperuntai, and they went into Capernaum. Verse number 22, Kai Explosonto. Verse number 23, Caiuthos, and immediately there in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. So here we see verse number 9 to 23, with the exception of one verse. So that's 14, that's 13 verses all connected with the word Kai. And we're only in chapter number one. And we will see this all throughout the book of Mark. Now, one thing that's interesting for you, whether you're Spanish-speaking or whether you're English-speaking or whether you're Italian-speaking or you speak Chinese or what, I don't know what particular type of translation that you use. We have people internationally listening to Greek for the week. Maybe you're Indonesian. We have a nice Indonesian following. Um, we have a following from Malaysia. Whatever it may be, take your Bible out and look for the English word kai uh, or and or the Greek word kai in your language and see if you can trace it at the beginning of each sentence or verse in the book of Mark. Take a particular color that you have or that you enjoy, green or blue, and begin to highlight it in your Bible and you'll start to see parataxis, these clauses that Mark uses to string things together. That was his writing style. You know, the guy that used to hang out with Peter, he knew Paul. His uncle was Barnabas. His mother was Mary, who had the prayer meetings at his house. And now he's penning this work about Jesus, and he uses this writing style. So the question is, why would he use this particular writing style? Well, parataxis has an effect on the reader. When you use this particular writing style, it's because it gets more of a dramatic effect because it's very straightforward. You're not leaving room for a lot of details. It's straight to the point. Boom, boom, boom. This detail, this detail, this detail, this detail. And it's very objective. In other words, you're focusing on exactly what happened, the exact events that took place. He went into the wilderness. He was in Nazareth of Galilee. 
he came up out of the water. A voice came from heaven. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. John was arrested. Jesus passed alongside and saw Simon and Andrew. Jesus said, follow me. Immediately they left their nets. They went a little further. They saw James. They saw John. He called to them immediately. They went into Capernaum. People were astonished at his teaching. Immediately he was in the synagogue. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like objective, objective reporting without commentary, without opinion. It gets right to the point, and it gets right to the fact. And what it's doing is thrusting the reader into an experience. And that's because Mark wanted the Christians that he was encouraging, and Mark wanted the Christians that he was teaching to be disciples of Christ to have an experience with Jesus the way that he had had an experience with Christ through the preaching of Peter and the other apostles. And you know something? This is how somebody speaks when they're very excited. Now think about it. I have a little nephew. He's not so little anymore. He's about eight at the time of this recording. And But I remember when he was three, maybe four. You know, when little boys or little girls are three or four, that's when you can have, or even two and a half, that's when you can have those really fun, goofy conversations with them. And um, they're excited about everything. Doesn't take much to please a little child. And he would come back from doing something fun with his father, uh, who was my brother. And I'd see him, he'd say, Uncle Chris, Daddy took me to the go-karts. And we got on the go-karts. And we went around the track. And Daddy passed up a car. And Daddy slammed on the brakes. And Daddy hit the gas. And we kept going. And we won the race. And after we got off the go-karts, we went and got cotton candy. And we went and played a video game. And we came back. And Daddy gave me a hug. And then Daddy took me for ice cream. And na 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 He gets all the details out as fast as he can. And 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 and. And he did this and he did that. Because he's so excited. And he wants to tell me everything he's excited about. And that's what's going on here in the book of Mark. That Mark is so excited about the miracles of Jesus. And the experiences he's experienced through the miracles of Jesus. That he's excitedly and objectively telling you about them. And that excitement thrusts you into an experience and moves the story uh, along quickly. And you get involved in that experience and you share in Mark's excitement. And I remember even as a little kid when I was studying the Gospels, I was in Royal Rangers. I had to read one of the Gospels and I had to tell my chief that I read it so that I could get one of my pins for reading one of the Gospels. Uh, I picked the book of Mark. And I then they said, why did you pick the book of Mark? Well, it's not only the shortest gospel, but it moves along the quickest. And I loved it because when I read the book of Mark, I have such an experience with the objection or the, object, the, the objectivity of it. It's very exciting and gives you an experience. And that's because of Mark's writing style. He uses parataxis and he, and he strings all of these events one next to another real quickly so that you can encounter the Lord in an exciting way because Mark himself is excited about it. Parataxis, very interesting. So I'd encourage you today, go through your Bible, highlight all the different uses of the word and. If you're using a Greek Bible, you'll see Kai. And you'll see here that Mark is very objective about it and is given to you an exciting experience. It'll be an exciting study for you, and you can make notes and, and, and journal about Mark's excitement. 
and what Mark's trying to tell you. Well, that just about does it for today. Like I said before, do your friend a favor. Send him the link to Greek for the Week and say, hey, this guy's taken us deeper in the Word of God. He's shown us that we should be excited about Jesus and we should be excited about the miracles that he performs. And we should always have an exciting witness, just like Mark. Send him the link and tell him, hey, follow this guy on Greek for the Week. Okay, God bless you, and we'll see you in our next podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.